Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at RiderFlex. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. And as a reminder, please subscribe to the RiderFlex show for updates on new episodes. And by the way, if you haven't already, check out the book we recently launched, The RiderFlex Guide, Inspiring and Hiring, available for purchase on Amazon. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. Scott Bell on the Rider Flex podcast. Hello, good morning, Scott, and happy holidays. Happy holiday. Thanks for having me today. You bet, man. It's uh, We're recording this on December 20th. Don't know if we'll get it launched before Christmas, but uh, we're both gearing up for the holidays. Um, you know, isn't it interesting, Scott, when you're an entrepreneur and a business owner, you're never really off work, right? Like, not really. Like, your brain never turns off completely. Even, even during the holiday, you know, uh, employees can kind of step away from work, or at least a lot of them can, depending on their job. They can kind of step away and not really think about it or worry about it. I don't know about you, but for me, it is very difficult to turn it off completely, at least in my mind. It's for me, it's probably the most stressful time of the year. I mean, I, I love the holidays and, um, you know, I've got got two little ones, six year old twins and getting to see how excited they are this time of year. But, um, yeah, from from the start of, of you know creating the business, the holidays have always been the most stressful time. Because so many folks are out of the office, but sometimes clients aren't. They're still planning. They're still, you know, anxiety over this, that, and the other related to business. So it's it's for me at least, it's impossible to turn it off. It's it's uh it's an around the clock, um, <laughs> around the year type of thing. It is, uh, and we're both in the service industry, right? Pretty much uh, yourself for for marketing and and us for recruiting. Yes, that is the stressful part, stressful part, because some of our clients, some start to check out, kind of, some don't, some of our recruiters check out, some don't, and also, you know, any, uh, any contracts that we were in negotiation with, right, any service level agreements, we, we had kind of, uh, you know, right there at the finish line, and, oh, well, you know, hey, let's, you know, let's catch back up after the holidays, and oh, yeah. then people kind of turn stuff off, and now we're setting on service level agreements, and, you know, okay are those going to hit are those going to sign and we got to wait for two weeks yeah yeah you're exactly right my my co-founder and i just had this conversation i was like you know as a service business entrepreneur this little four or five week stretch is is not my favorite <laughs> no i mean you, no you're right there's a lot of things kind of swirling in the air you know are we gonna are we gonna finish december strong how are yeah. upcoming annual renewals gonna uh, going to vote for the company that that makes an impact on the whole next year. Um, yes. Are we going to have staffing coverage when this is the time of year where people want to uh, want to take time off? So there's All there's that. a lot rolling. And one of our primary categories that we serve is home services contractors, and uh, they don't really take time off. I mean, uh, you know, people have HVAC or plumbing emergencies on Christmas. <laughs> um so you know if they're if they're in the office and they're working then they think yeah. that we are too so it's <laughs> you know yeah it can be a stressful time and uh for the uh, aspiring entrepreneurs listening to the show you also get to deal with end of year 
cash flow slash, okay, what are we going to do on that income? How, what are the taxes going to look like? Do we need to buy anything else? Do we want to, are we trying to make our income statement look good for potential investors? Are we trying to break even? What are we doing? Okay. Let's talk to the tax accountant. Okay. Well, yeah, but if we drain all the cash at the end of the year, then how do we survive payroll in January? You know, all of it, all of it, right? All of it, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, that's why starting this afternoon, I will be uh, drinking eggnog and bourbon and other uh, alcoholic beverages for the next four or five days and just try, try really hard to relax, try really hard to relax and then uh, jump on it after. But anyway, um, man, tell us about you personally a little bit, if you don't mind. Give us the family, early history, growing up, mom, dad, siblings, if you don't mind. Yeah, so um, uh, I'm I'm turning forty uh, yeah. this week, All so right. December twenty second, fortieth birthday. So um, <laughs> I was a you know child of the eighties, um, but you know I had a great childhood. Um, my dad was actually a golf professional, uh, not a touring golf professional, but like a, a golf club. Um, most golf clubs have a like a resident a golf professional. Oh, uh, so good. when I was born, he was a golf professional, uh, working at a golf course. Uh, I think when I was maybe eight, nine, 10 years old, he had an opportunity, uh, to take over the lease of a struggling golf course. Oh, uh, and became the owner of that golf course. All right. Um, and, you know, I kind of, it was great to see him get in there and make changes and evolve that golf course to something that, you know, became a profitable business. Um, but I also got to see how much, mm. how much hard work that took, mm-hmm. uh, he, during those first five to seven years, he wasn't, you know, he, he was at the golf course working and grinding. Uh, but nice. I think a lot of satisfaction in seeing how he evolved that. Um, my mom, she was a marriage and family therapist, oh. uh, who actually started her own marriage and family counseling business. So mm. I got to see that firsthand, you know, her starting that and building clientele and, um, all the lo- long hours that went into that. And I have one sibling, a brother, he's four years older than I am. After he graduated college, he actually started uh, a billboard company. Uh, and I got to see him over a three or four year period go through that process. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, starting mm-hmm. business and owning your own destiny to a certain extent and being entrepreneurial, that's a, that's an environment I think I grew up in that gotcha. helped make an impact when I started thinking about, you know, what is my career going to look like? No doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Was your uh, dad a tough guy, softy? Was he, uh, was he pretty hardcore uh, dad? And then how was mom? What was that like for you with the parents? Uh, dad was tough. Dad was tough. Um, <laughs> we, there was no question about his love for us. Um, he was always there. He was always there to support us. But he was tough. I mean, the, the one thing that goes through my mind every day when I'm doing something is something that he used to say to us, my brother and I, every day is don't do a half job. <laughs> that, that, that's what I heard him say over and over again. You know, if you're going to do something, do it right. Um, do it to completion. Um, but that tells you a little bit about how he approached um, parenting, work and life. Um, did you work mom, for him? Did you do a little work at the golf course? I'm sure you did when you were a teenager or whatever, right? Or, or, oh yeah, you, man. I was, I was riding lawnmowers when I was, you know, 12 years old, <laughs> cutting grass. The first job that he actually gave me at the uh, golf course, not sure if you're uh, familiar with horse apples. 
So horse apples, uh, they're definitely not edible. Yeah, uh, right. It would make you possibly croak, but yeah. they're just these nasty, uh, almost volleyball-sized things that drop from trees, and they're sappy and they stink. And my first job there, I think I was probably 11 or 12. He was like, here's a bucket. Here's a golf cart. I need you to pick up every one of them. And for every one you pick up, I'll give you a nickel. I worked for a couple of days picking up thousands of those things. And I made a serious paycheck. Um, <laughs> I was shocked. But there yeah, I grew up, yeah, grew up cool. working there. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Oh, that's great. And you know how to play golf, I'm sure. Yeah, that was uh, certainly a passion until I got to the age where I had different interests. Uh, but yeah, uh, playing golf now is not something that I do regularly just because that's not, you know, my focus yeah. is more family and, and work. But yeah, grew up playing golf all the time. That's what I figured. Yeah. Okay. Very good. And were you the rebel kid? Uh, were you, were you out of you and your brother? Talk to me. Who Was somebody getting in trouble? Were you both straight A students? Was there a rebel in there? Well, walk me through that. You know, my brother's an entrepreneur as well and has some of the, the tall tale signs of an entrepreneur in high school. Uh, we were both uh, not the best students. I think both of us were bored by school uh, and had other interests. Um, but yeah, we both got our fair share of snags along the way. But we both also, um, you know, early 20s, uh, he may be a little bit earlier than, than I did. Uh, but started getting it together and finding interest in business and entrepreneurship. And for me, I found that interest in college. I went to Auburn University, mm-hmm. went through the entrepreneurship program. Prior cool. to getting involved in the entrepreneurship program, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Okay. Uh, but once I found that entrepreneurship program, for me, education and learning and engagement, it flipped 100%. And I was I was in it, started making great grades. And I think it was just a, a byproduct of finding something uh, that I really loved. Okay. Okay. Very cool. So not a, you didn't, not a ton of partying at Auburn, but, but a little bit. <laughs> uh, first few years, uh, it was, you know, it was, it was a crazy time, but uh, I, I grew up and, <laughs> and got serious about the next stage of my life. Uh, thankfully at the right time. Okay. Very good. Uh, well, a lot of that definitely explains why uh, the entrepreneurial blood runs, runs deep in the family. Um, did you meet your, are you married with kids? I think you are. Married with kids, got six-year-old twins, uh, met my wife at Auburn. Okay. Um, met there. We both graduated at the same time, uh, moved to Florida for a few years, started the business, moved back to Montgomery, Alabama, where I was born and raised, mm-hmm. grew the business there, uh, live in Birmingham, Alabama. Now we moved up a couple of years ago and our business was at one point more of a local direct, you know, selling marketing services to local, uh, to the local businesses in the market. Now we've expanded our, our, a lot of our teams remote. We have clients, you know, throughout the country. So um, we made the move up here to, to Birmingham and that's where we live now. And when you met your wife, was she at one of those parties? Was she at a sorority? What happened? Tell me about the moment when you met her. No. So, um, you know, Despite all the partying and all the craziness, um, when I turned 16, 16 or 17, my parents required me to work. So um, I had to, to work for the to buy the things that I that I wanted to buy, um, had to work in college to help support you okay. know college and everything that goes along with it. So okay. when we met, I was actually a manager at a restaurant. Cool. All right. And, uh, she all came right. in, she got a job and, and that's where we met. Uh, I think asked her out on a 
on a date to go watch Auburn versus LSU football. Uh, that was our first first date, and uh, yeah, we've been together. Ever so since. okay, so so good thing she didn't report you to HR, right? Of course, I guess you were the manager, so you were HR. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> I can almost see it. You're like, okay, great interview. You're hired. By the way, uh, there's a game next weekend. Would you like to go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's not exactly how it went down, but kind of, yeah. <laughs> well, you worked where you worked uh the restaurant industry. Okay, didn't know that. I know I know we had a pre-chat, but uh, boy, that also tells me a lot about you. I have a high deal of respect for Anybody that worked in the restaurant industry during college, that that is not an easy thing to do. Uh, you know, those line cooks and waitresses. I mean, that that's a tough job. And uh, there's a lot of grit that comes with people that go through that experience. So I appreciate you you sharing that. You So if you were the manager, you must have started and moved your way up. Well, I think I think that a good thing is, you know, not many college students, at least the ones that I was interacting were with cared that much about their job. So I think the opportunity for me to rise if I just showed up and worked every day was, <laughs> was pretty good. I don't I don't think there was anything special about me. Mm. Um, but no, I mean, I enjoyed working at restaurants and it just all came down to the activity that happens at a at a busy restaurant yes. and how much money you can make. I mean with tips, you know, work work in a restaurant, work in a bar it's hard to make that type of money as a college student anywhere else. So that's really what it was about. You haven't, you didn't uh, happen to read the book kitchen confidential uh, by Anthony Bourdain. Did you? I did not No. Okay. Uh, it's a good one. It's a good one. He, he, he tells, he tells all the stories about the kitchen and the dating and the partying after the restaurant closed. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Very good. Appreciate you sharing uh, some of that personal uh, stuff with us. Thank you very much. So entrepreneurial stuff running pretty deep in the family. Then you're going to college. Last couple of years of college, you're going through the entrepreneurship program. How did you decide marketing? Like how, how to walk us through that transition there when you, when you started, because I think Bell Media, and did you start that with your wife and then walk us through that transition? Yeah. So I went through the entrepreneurship program. My senior year uh, had to do a project where built a business strategy uh, built a business plan, you know, the typical stuff that you would do going through mm -hmm. uh, that whole process of, mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. kind of dreaming up the business. I got really interested in the billboard business. Uh, and the reason why I got interested is my brother was already in the billboard right. business. He right. started his career with Lamar Outdoor Advertising, their publicly traded billboard company, then started his own little uh, uh, billboard company in Tallahassee, Florida. So I didn't have any brilliant or great ideas at the time. So I said, yeah, maybe I maybe I write a business plan on starting a billboard company in a market next to Auburn. Um, Auburn, you couldn't build any billboards there. They were banned at the time. Oh, uh, So started going down that path. And then I started thinking, you know, this is actually kind of interesting. It's an asset-based business. It's highly regulated, so it's hard to get into. If I can get some land leases and I can get some permits, I might be able to get funding to build these billboards. Um, you know, asset-based business. I was able to get some mezzanine lending. Um, so by the time I graduated, so a year after working on the project, I had secured eight or nine land leases, eight or nine permits. Wow. Uh, my brother and I at that time came together to start Bell Media as a billboard company. Okay. And the whole thesis or strategy around it 
was that we wanted to build a billboard company that specialized in digital billboards, you know, the right. right that have like scrolling ads. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to focus on secondary or third tier markets because the big billboard companies were focused on bigger markets. We thought our market entry point could be mid tier or smaller markets. And that's how we got started. So right. we took on a little bit of debt, um, started building billboards and, you know, grew the company from there. Wow. Th- but you were in it for what? Almost 14 years. Uh, did you guys run it together as like co-CEOs? Who was in charge? What, did walk us through the ownership. Cause I know that's always a big question we get here on the Rider Flex podcast is, you know, how'd you set up the cap table or the operating agreement or the ownership, especially when there's family involved, how'd you do it? Yeah. Scott? Yeah. I mean, anybody that's watching that's been part of a family business can attest to some of the challenges and, and my brother and I, um, we had our fair share of challenges too, so much so uh, we set it up as 50-50 um, at about the two-year mark. We made the determination together that we really didn't want to be business partners anymore. Okay. You know, I wanted to grow aggressively and do certain things. He wanted to do things a certain way. Just the natural friction that oh, happens yeah. with business yeah. partners, but the yes. difference, we're also brothers. Yes. Um, so at that time, one of my uh, high school and college buddies contacted me um, who went to Vanderbilt. He was like, look, I'm looking for a career change. I've noticed what you guys have been doing with the billboard business. I'd love to see if I could just be a part of it. So brought him in as an employee. And after a year, he actually bought out most of my brother's stake in the company. I see. Um, and then I was kind of CEO and he was COO. Uh, his name is Nathan Yates. He's currently our CFO. Um, but those first two years with the family business, we evolved. Nathan bought in um, and we built that billboard company for about seven years until we had the opportunity to sell it in 2015. Oh, you sold it in 2015. Okay, very good. And was that a extremely successful exit? Like, okay, I can retire or just, you know, pay off your house type of exit. Where Where was that for the folks? <laughs> Yeah, it was definitely not uh, take it to the house type money, um, but it did shape who we are, okay. and it was a huge springboard to where we are today. All right. We had options. I mean, we could have sold that and taken those resources and just put them in our account. What we decided to do, rather than just distribute all the funds, mm. distributed a portion of it, but we put the rest of it back into the business ah. to grow what we're growing today, which is a you know. A, a national digital marketing agency. So, so okay, well now when you sold though, if I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile just for clarity, you said you sold in 2015, but you were there until 2021. Were you quote working for somebody else at that point that had owner that how did walk me through that? Yeah. Yeah. So legally we kept the same entity. Okay. Um so we sold all of our billboards in that company as an asset sale. Mm. But because we were selling and pivoting to digital, we just kept the same name so that we could still maintain some of the relationships Uh, and build our digital marketing business. I see. Okay. Very good. Nice move. I like that. Very nice move. Okay. (laughs) Very good. And your your brother at that point took his little piece of the action from the sale and he's like, okay, I'm done. Thank you. And then it was just you and your your partner, the other guy you mentioned. Uh, What's his name again? Uh, Nathan Yates. Nathan. Okay. So you and Nathan stayed on and your brother's like, okay, cool. I'm out. Yeah. And my, and my brother uh, has another billboard company has been hugely successful. And um, um, it was, it was really just vision and seeing eye to eye on, on vision, okay. but he and I 
He's actually, you know, going to be here tonight and staying with us with his family. So all are, all is good. It's just that <laughs> that period of time, certainly some friction uh, existed. My oldest son has a power washing business in Oklahoma City, and uh, he talked to his little brother into coming and helping him. And I told him before my youngest son, Spencer, went down there, I said, look, I said, here's the deal. Both of you guys are type A, super driven, super cocky, super captain. I want to be in charge personalities. I said, I, you know, <laughs> it's prepare yourself for uh, some moments that, that, that you're going to have to get through. And, you know, sure enough, both of them have called me at times like, I'm going to kill him. You know, <laughs> they're still doing it, uh, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. So uh, how I, much we'll... <laughs> I think the other factor is where are you on your, on, on your path to journey? Like, you know, yeah. have you found yeah. yourself? How old are you? I mean, I was, yeah. I was 23. My brother was 27. Like yeah. we didn't, we didn't really know who we were. That's true. We had not developed. That's right you know, the communication style that we know can be really healthy. Yeah. And you put two two brothers and business partners together that have differing opinions at their early to mid twenties. Like that's a tough one. That's know? a tough one. I totally agree. Nope. Couldn't agree more. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm guessing your brother has a very similar style and personality to you. I'm guessing. <laughs> there, there are some similarities and some, and some differences. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. Very cool. So, all right, you're cruising along. And uh, the business at some point, what happens? You come across high level marketing or you, you merged or you bought it. Walk us through the transition because for the listeners, just so we know, uh, as of right now, um, Scott is the CEO and I'm guessing primary owner uh, or majority owner. I don't know. Correct me if I'm missing that. Um, of yes, high- um, okay. Sorry. Okay. I, no, I was just going to say, um, Yes, I'm the largest stakeholder in the company. Nathan okay. is the second largest, and we have some other um, silent and active um, stakeholders in the business as well. Okay, and it's High Level Marketing. HighLevelMarketing.com is uh, the brand and company at this point. Top digital marketing agency, and I'll let Scott give uh, the nice overview. But how did that how did that transition happen uh, for for you and Nathan with Bell? How did you how did you do that? Go ahead, walk us through it. Yeah, so so why don't we start uh, at the time that we sold the billboard company? Because okay. that's that's okay. really you know up to that point we were a billboard company. When okay. that happened, we were a digital marketing web SEO digital marketing agency. Um, we made that switch when we had the opportunity to sell the billboards because our our clients kept asking us about Google Ads and SEO, and we were ah, like, well, we don't know anything about it, but this this may be a really good opportunity. So when we sold, we started putting all the resources from that sale back into the business to add team members that had digital marketing expertise. And that's how we started down the path of building a web and digital agency. Um, We've deployed a build strategy. So we look to grow organically 10 to 15% per year through our sales and marketing efforts. And we accelerate our growth beyond that through strategic acquisitions. So from 2015 to 2022, we've done four acquisitions, uh, a few that were pretty small. uh, But to your point, uh, we did acquire high-level marketing uh, in February of 2021. Previous to that, the company's name was Bell Media. When we acquired high-level marketing, um, they were 
a little bit smaller than us, but they were still, you know, good size, five, six, six and a half million dollar business. Um, and we decided to take the high level marketing name. Okay. And it's just because, you know, when you start a business with your brother, I guess you use your, your last name as the company name, yep. Bell. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But also um, Bell Media Canada, you know, I think they are potentially the largest media conglomerate in Canada. They are doing more business in uh, the United States. And so we started to see more confusion I see. in Canada Bell Media or the mm. U.S. Bell Media. So we decided at that point uh, through the acquisition to change our name to High Level Marketing. Okay. Yeah. Good move. Uh, you said four acquisitions, four or five acquisitions there, I think, in a pretty short time. That's like one every other year. That boy, that kept you busy. I mean, that is hard to to do. That's not that is not an easy thing to accomplish. That many acquisitions and growing organically at the same time without imploding or, you know, blowing yourself up. I mean, that's very difficult. So congratulations on that uh, as you've grown. Um, how did you have to take on debt to make those acquisitions? Can you educate the aspiring entrepreneur on how you did a few of those? Because um, I know there are people listening that are at that phase where they, they want to grow, but maybe they want to take on, you know, maybe they want to acquire some people too, but they're like, oh, we don't have the money to buy that right now. Can you walk us through some of it? I know we could do a whole podcast on that, but just a little taste. Yeah, yeah I guess if you're in the market to make some acquisitions, you've only got a, a few options, right? You could use your cash flow or your cash balance mm -hmm. uh, to make that acquisition. Um, you could take on some uh, funding, you know, family, friends, even institutional, uh, who will, of course, take a percentage ownership of your business, uh, or you could take on debt or some some type of debt instrument. Uh, we did it primarily a combination of cash on the balance sheet uh, as well as debt. Okay. Um, so, in particular, the high level marketing acquisition, uh, a large portion of that acquisition was done with with debt, uh, and we also injected a little bit of our our cash into it. But, you know, I think something that I learned early on uh, is just because you got a, a good business model or just because you think you have a successful business, that doesn't translate at all into your ability to get funding with the bank, especially if you're a service-based business. Right. Um, so the way that we were able to get funding through banks for, you know, the acquisition of high-level marketing, which for us was a you know, pretty decent-sized business, is we had to maximize our profit or EBITDA um, for 12 to 24 months before we made the acquisition mm. because it's what's called a cash flow loan. Mm. They're going to loan us the money uh, with the promise to pay it back based on the strength of our current business and the integrated business. Mm. Uh, so when we're preparing for an acquisition and we know we need to get debt funding, we're going to focus on driving uh, profits consistently because that's the only way we're going to get that cash flow lending. I think what I heard you say is you go down to the, this is a short version in commoner language. You went down to the bank and they said, look, we'll loan you a half a million as long as you have a half a million in the bank to loan <laughs> against it. Or yeah. Yeah. That, so that's one scenario is, yeah, we'll give you a half million. If you give us a half million of yours and put it into a CD, that's yeah, right. that's one way to get the money. But the other way is to say, okay, you need, um, $3 million to make this acquisition, the debt service on that is 30,000 a month. Well, do you have 60,000 or 90,000 a month 
in cash flow. Because mm-hmm. if so, we might lend you that money. So, you know, that's that's kind of how banks look at a lot of deals, at least if they're a cash flow lending bank. Well, we should have you back on the show to do a full episode on on just that, right? Because you're absolutely right. Getting a loan with a service business with no assets to loan against, unless you put up your own personal home, uh, is very difficult to do. Uh, and so, um, I don't. Did I cut out on my internet right there a little bit, Scott? Yeah, uh, it was it was kind of in and out there for a um, second. Yeah, just repeating that for the listeners. Getting a loan for a service business is hard at the bank because you don't. There's no assets, right? Uh, and and so they always want you to put up personal property or personal guarantee or your own house uh, against the loan, which it can be scary. Uh, and so the tricks and tips that you just gave there to possibly get a loan to make some acquisitions was good. We could probably do a whole episode on that, but okay. Very good. So now might be the right moment for you to give us the high level marketing overview and pitch as it stands today. Go for it. Give us the, give us the elevator pitch. Scott. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Make, make it a, uh, you know, a walloping punch. Um, no, I mean, I, I'll tell you the evolution of the, the business. When we started the digital marketing agency, you know, six years ago, six and a half years ago, um, we were just kind of feeling around in the dark based on some questions our clients were asking. Okay. Um, so we would sell just about any digital marketing product or service to really whoever wanted to buy it. And of course, as businesses grow, they, they mature and evolve. And we've gotten to a point now where we really know what our core products and services are and what they're not. Um, And so what we focus on uh, are a few key verticals, primarily service-based companies that want to grow their business in their local community. And we do so first and foremost by focusing on the digital foundation first. So we want to make sure that we build an an incredible website that's super fast, mobile friendly, has great content, um, is optimized for conversions. Uh, We perform SEO to help our clients rank and drive um, leads and new business. And we also add paid media services uh, on top of it, usually at some point uh, in the engagement. But what we're here to do is really to accelerate the growth of our clients by unlocking their true potential. And we feel at high level marketing, that's really what we focus on when we engage with a local business wanting to grow in their local community. Are you targeting Uh, a certain size? Like uh, we're talking a million dollars to $50 million size business or what are you targeting? Yeah, so we have a a couple of categories and ICPs that we target. Uh, Home services, contractors, uh, that's that's our number one category. So think HVAC, plumbing, electrical, roofing. Um, And usually you're talking, you know, in our client client base, a million a year in revenue, you know, up to five or 10 million is who we focus on. Mm. The second is uh, cosmetic and aesthetic healthcare. So think plastic surgery, dermatology, uh, medical spas, and that range we look at as like provider level. So maybe one or two doctors and and physician's assistants all the way up to 10 or 20. And then the last is elderly care. Senior living is a huge growth area. There's a huge need for marketing services in that. So senior living facilities, that's the other big category that we're serving uh, and growing and the ICP of all those is a little bit different. Why those three, I guess the last one you said, because it's growing so fast, why the first two? That's interesting how you went from plumbers to, uh, 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 I don't know, facelifts. <laughs> how did you do that? How- well, well, part of it is just happenstance. I mean, okay. the first three or four years, um, 
again, we were trying to take on as much business as we could, not knowing exactly who okay. would be our most profitable client see, and who I we see. could deliver the most value for. And as we looked up after three or four years, we started realizing, oh, like home services, that's a major part of our business. And I see. they have lower, you know, we have higher retention with them and oh, mm. cosmetic healthcare. Mm. We've got we've got some partnerships, referral partnerships there, and this is a big category for us. And okay. so it, it was just kind of um, a byproduct of serving those markets mm, and I one see. deal led to another. And then you start getting more ingrained uh, in those. But now it's about retention, you know, and our go to market strategy and the total addressable market. And that's how we're making decisions on which industries to serve. Do you turn away other industries you haven't served? We do. Um, one in particular is we really don't work in e-commerce space. It's a it's a totally different game. Okay. Um, but if you're a, a local service based business wanting to grow in your local community, that's going to be our bread and butter. What about recruiting firms like mine, Riderflex? What about us? <laughs> um, we we do and have done some work uh, in that category. Um, there are certain categories though that we may steer away from with certain products. We can serve almost any type of business building a foundation, website, hosting, web support, uh, SEO services, and content. But when it comes to paid media, every category is treated a little bit different. Uh, okay. So there are some categories that we don't want to offer paid media services for just because it's, you know, it could be that we just haven't had success there okay. or paid is just a different animal. And is the SEO and the website, is are we talking uh, for the listeners as far as um, the business model? Is it, do you pay monthly? Do you pay like, oh, we're going to, you pay one fee for the website and then monthly for the SEO. How do you set it up for your, for your customers? Yeah, there was a time where we had, you know, a big upfront fee to build a website. And then after that, it's an ongoing mm -hmm. services contract mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. website updates, maintenance, content, SEO. Mm -hmm. We've changed that narrative a little bit where we bundle our services. So there's really um, almost no upfront fee and you're paying for website and everything that comes along with it in a monthly uh, ongoing relationship. Fee and structure. is it a 12 month contract? Do you have to sign up for a long time, long, long term service commitment or how, what does that look like? Our average engagement uh, for the initial uh, contracting phase is 24 months. We've got some that are on 12 months. We've got some that are longer 36, 48 um, months, but our standard average is a 24 month commitment. And, you know, some people say, why is that important? We are putting significant um, volume and amount of resources into building a really strong mm -hmm. foundation. Mm -hmm. And as everybody should know at this point, to gain maximum traction with your content and your SEO strategy, like it's not gonna happen in four months. It's not mm -hmm. going to happen in five months. We still are seeing value from an SEO perspective today on things that we may have done 12 or 24 months ago. Mm -hmm. So our engagements, we structure them. We want partnerships. We want long-term partnerships and good transparent partnerships. And we just structure them typically to be a 24 month engagement. And on the paid ad service, are we, is it me saying, Hey, look, I want to spend a thousand bucks a month on paid ads and you take a percentage of that to manage that budget. Is that how that works? Yeah, it's a media spend, which typically, you know, we want to live on the client's credit card so that we're not floating that. Okay. And then it's a percentage fee okay. on top of it. 
And, you know, usually we like to drive the narrative around the recommendation for the spend. I think yep. everybody comes in and says, hey, I've got yep. I've got two thousand dollars. And we say that's that's great. We want to take that in consideration. Budgets are really important and we need to stay in parameters. But we want to actually use some of the tools that we have to see what that might get you okay. and if it's going to help you achieve your goals. So a lot of analytics tools and Google ads uh, estimates out there for what the output could could potentially be with an investment. Okay, very good. I have had a shit ton of marketing folks on the RiderFlex podcast, <laughs> a bunch of guys, right, uh, and girls. But, uh, you know, I look back, I think we've had over 300-something guests now on the show and probably, hell, probably 25% of them own marketing agencies. I don't know if that's a real stat or not. I'm just kind of guessing. <laughs> um, what makes high-level marketing and Scott Bell's team so special? Like why you guys um, out of all the different guests that have been on the show? Yeah, there are a few things that are uh, unique about our company. Um, we're a service-based company, so experience does matter. Um, you know this, you, you typically get better and improve based on your failures. Mm -hmm. So we've certainly messed up plenty of times uh, and it, that's helped us you know, build a better business provide better services for clients and help them achieve better goals. So experience is a big one. We've been doing it now uh, for a good period of time. Uh, we've built a good team. We've got around 115 uh, full-time team members. Nice. Uh, but what's really important is that we have around 2,000 active recurring clients. And That's when you great. have 2,000 plus active recurring clients, um, you have to know a lot of industries, you have gone through a lot of failures to get to successes. And through all of those learnings and that experience, we've been able to create a company that can provide significant value for our clients. Um, we like to talk internally about the value of our team and the expertise and the quality of specialists that we hire here and the value that they provide for the companies that we work with. But it's also our technology. Uh, we have our own proprietary footprint technology. That's what we call it. Um, it's a it's a proprietary CMS. It's also a proprietary dashboards. It does scanning of websites mm, to mm. see how people rank in their markets and what mm, areas mm. of their website and web presence we can improve. Mm. So we use our technology to diagnose, run campaigns, and provide 100% transparency through our services so that we're in lockstep with our clients. So our footprint technology mm. helping to support our team is a differentiator in the marketplace. Uh, and we are continuing to develop that technology every day. Thank you. Solid answer. Appreciate you sharing that. By the way, for the listeners, a 4.8 score on Google reviews with 157 reviews. That is very nice job. Nice job. So your reputation uh, online is very strong and that is, not easy to do, and it doesn't happen by accident. <laughs> well, Steve, this is just kudos to our, our team. I don't want to under undersell. Uh, I just also want to point out this is a very important point. If you do high-level marketing Birmingham, Alabama, do a little search for that. Okay. High-level right. marketing Birmingham, because uh, you shared the statistics uh, for our Michigan office. Oh, sorry. And there okay. are a ton of, of great reviews there, hundreds of great reviews. And in Birmingham, 
we have another 227 wow. Google reviews, five-star wow. average. So, and, wow. it, and it's just indicative. We've got, again, around 2000 active clients and, you know, they're not afraid to go well, and great. leave these positive reviews on our Google business profiles. Nice job. Very nice job. <laughs> Congratulations on that. I mean, it's a big deal. I, you know, it is a big deal. My team uh, does the same. Uh, you, you know, over, we have RiderFlex has over 300 combined uh, five-star reviews uh, for our little tiny firm. And we're only doing about $2.5 million a year right now as a recruiting firm. And uh, I just know how critical, I know how critical reviews are. And I think for the listeners, by the way, the tip I would give, and you, uh, you know better than me, <clears throat> but um, I think the key is asking for them. <laughs> I mean, just, you know, we, just ask for them. <laughs> I, if well, we, I, have, <laughs> we have clients all the time saying, what can I do? What yeah. can I do to improve my rankings or my ability to get business? And, and the low hanging fruit is always go get more reviews. I it mean, just, it helps yes, you rank yes. in the map section. Uh, you got to think about the client journey and are they going to look for reviews and are they looking at your yeah. competitor reviews? But that's one thing that, that business owners can start to own. Um, and that's actually part of our technology in our footprint technology. We've got a review solicitation tool that all of our Great. clients, that's, that's the low hanging fruit. Absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Okay. Very good. My friend, uh, one more question on why you're a little bit different and then we'll kind of wrap up every SEO expert I have had on the show and the 10 agencies that hit me a day with some cold email sales pitch. They all, they're all like, we can make your company rank high. Oh my God. I mean, I've heard it so many times, Scott. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, so many times. Right. And even before I started writing flex, I was a CEO. I ran a couple of other $40 million companies as a CEO and president. So I've seen every pitch possible around, you know, we can make SEO, we can do it for you. And then I always get the same response, which is, Hey, look, you know, 12 to 24 months before, you know, we're going to see anything. This is not going to happen overnight. You know, the same thing. I get the same thing all the time. And in my head, as the guy that's going to be paying for it, I'm like, well, okay. So you want me to pay you for 24 months and cross my fingers and hope that my ranking on organic Google pages are going to go up. That's how I, that's what I'm thinking in my head. What do you, what do you say to the CEO like me thinking that? Uh, so Steve, you were breaking up there oh, for just a, just oh, a little let me bit, know. but re need... repeat what you were saying of what the CEO is asking. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. I will. Sorry for the listeners for that breakup. Yeah. So the, you know, the CEO like me is thinking a lot of times when they hear all these pitches, right? They hear, they hear all these pitches. We're going to make you rank high organic search. Oh, we're going to make, we're going to put you on page one of Google search. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> and so, you know, but then they say, but it's going to take 12, 24 months and, uh, you know, it's not going to happen overnight, blah, blah, blah. Sign this 24 month contract, you know, pay us thousands of dollars a month and we'll cross our fingers and hopefully we'll get you to page one. No guarantees. And I always think as the CEO, I'm like, man, you know, I just have a hard time. I have a hard time with that. 24 months. Yeah. You, want me to, you want me to work for 24 months, cross my fingers and hope you're going to get me right now. I'm on page eight of Google search and maybe you'll get me to page three, you know, what do you say to the CEOs like me worried about that and thinking that way? Well, so that's, yeah, that's, that's the common question. Um, 
And sometimes when we close lose deals, that's that's the you know that's the rub or the the challenge is you know I don't yeah. I don't want to wait twenty four months or mm -hmm. I don't want to invest for twenty four months without without guarantees and we get it. And look, we we get people emailing us all the time as marketing companies <laughs> saying you could improve your online rankings. And if we're getting those types of emails, I'm yeah. sure oh, folks like you are getting every day, every day, every um, day, yeah, every day. Um, so you know, I think we get that a lot. And I think the question that I would ask would be, you know, Steve, um, what are you hoping to accomplish with an SEO strategy and how fast do you want that to move? Inbound traffic. I'm hoping to inbound traffic. Uh, my, my short answer there is we're doing two and a half million dollars a year right now as a recruiting firm. And that's because me and my co-founder pick up the phone and hustle business every day. And I always think, damn, my life would be easier if I had some more inbound traffic. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's the challenge that we face every day with with businesses. It's developing this, the SEO strategy, uh, but it's not just the SEO. Um, it's the content on the website. Mm. Um, it's It doesn't matter if you like the content. It matters if consumers and Google likes the content. Mm. Um, what's the strength of your website? Um, mm -hmm. having a website's not good enough. You know, are your, are your calls to action in the right place for conversions? Uh, do you have a fast website? Do you have a compelling website? Uh, so when we talk about SEO and we talk about driving leads, inbound leads, which is what everybody wants, mm -hmm. we would be remiss just to look at your rankings. We want to look at the whole foundation and if it's broken, we need to fix the foundation first. And sometimes mm. that takes time. Mm. Mm. Um, in terms of the timeline, when we do SEO for a local services business, um, we're not successful and we don't view ourselves as successful if over the first six to 12 months, we don't start seeing meaningful impact on inbound lead volume. Okay. Um, and you know that's really the ultimate goal. And we use tools to be able to estimate what we think that we can I see. produce and I improve see. on over the first 12 months. And you can do that because Google shares how many searches there are yeah. for certain keywords. And page one is a math problem. In the map section, 16.1% of consumers push on that first map option. Almost 20% click on that first SEO or organic option. Mm. So if we can get our clients through a good web and SEO strategy in multiple positions, mm -hmm. then it can become a bit of a math problem and you can create some predictability around that. But it's really hard to fast track it because we can build content, we can build a new website and we can index it with Google, but it's not a set it and forget it. You have to do that and you have to continue to work on that strategy and content and backlinking and Google profiles and all that stuff has to come together and then you'll start seeing movement. But if you're a consumer or a business that has worked with an SEO agency and two things, they're not looking at your website and the foundation, they're just getting right to the SEO. That's mm. a problem. Mm. The other thing is you should start seeing uh, some impact on rankings and impressions and traffic to your website that leads to inbound leads in a six to nine month period. Okay. Very good. All right, Scott, thank you very much for that overview. You know, you talk and carry yourself like a guy that has been through a couple of exits 
and has worked for maybe a Fortune 500 and then came into small company. I mean, you're very well-rounded with with the way you articulate things, which I don't find often for people that have been an entrepreneur right out of college and never really worked for other people. I mean, not really, right, in a in a big environment because you you didn't really have to do that, right? You didn't spend 15, 20 years kind of working your way up through the ladder at a bigger company or anything. Um, you went right into owning your own business. So many of those folks are overconfident, too cocky, uh, don't aren't 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 uh, well rounded in their thought process, um, super narrow minded, a uh, bunch of other things. I could write a book about it. And and uh, but you are not like that. You don't come across like that. Like if I met you for coffee and I didn't know that you had been an entrepreneur since the beginning, I would have thought you had worked several other places and then started your business. So that's a compliment from me to you just by the way you carry yourself and how you've obviously spent time reading, studying, being mentored, probably are part of a CEO groups or whatever it is you're doing to keep yourself uh, shaped uh, nicely in, in, in the way you present yourself. So. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think I've got a, uh, a decent network of friends here that for the first you know, six months that we were friends, they probably had no idea what I did. I, I don't make a habit of really you know, talking about the company. And I think that's just naturally I'm, I'm an introvert. Maybe that's part of it, but it is all about ongoing education and, yes. and educating yourself. Yes. Uh, but I think there's also a perception of CEO uh, entrepreneur as this big personality, you know, not into the details and they entrepreneurs that fit that that mold um but for me um I, I just don't i think it's more of a personality thing yeah well you're doing a nice job and congratulations uh, on everything you. you have built my friend great job of pivoting changing adapting listening to what your customers want making some acquisitions uh getting the bank to move along with you um, I apologize for the listeners. I know we had a few hangups on the on the internet today, but congrats, uh, Scott, on everything you've uh, you've built, my friend. And thanks for sharing your your story on the Riderflex podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Steve. Really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. Hope you have a, a good holiday. Uh -huh.